Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. everybody, it's Terry with Marketing Mambo, and today I have Elon Geva. He is a CEO whisperer, an international branding expert, an author, and speaker who practices and teaches holistic branding for all brand touchpoint communications the way it's meant to be. He's a founding member of Medical Travel Insight and has spoken all over the world on the topic of medical tourism, has also taught on consumer behavior, marketing, and advertising at DePaul University and University of Chicago. Welcome, Elon. How are you? Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. I'm doing fantastic despite the weather, and I'm holding on despite the pandemic. Yes, we were just talking a little earlier. Having some sunshine out today definitely helps. Yes, it improves the weather instantly. Just to give you guys context, it is February and we have several feet of snow on the ground in suburban Chicago where Elon and I both live. Elon, I'm so excited to talk with you today about one of my favorite topics as a marketer, and that is branding. I think to a lot of people, branding means different things. I'd love to ask you, how do you define branding? What happened to me in my personal career is that I started my global career, so to speak, as the design director of Ogilvy & Mather in Africa. And suddenly I found myself not only in an excellent advertising agency that understood branding all along, but I found myself facing multinational clients like Shell, Nestle, big advertisers and marketers that really understood how to build a brand. And their brands are, they've been around for a while and everybody almost takes them for granted, not knowing exactly how much work has to be done in order to maintain those brands. But I noticed something else. As I was talking and starting to interact with the VP of marketing of, let's say, American Express or Nestle, and they even they spoke in a language that I could not even understand because I came from the creative side. I came from a design school and I became a creative director, a design director. And the projects that I was doing were involving, let's say, big corporate identity programs for some of these companies. And suddenly I realized that there is a discipline called advertising and a discipline called brand. And branding always was a misunderstood concept, a misunderstood theory. And one of the reasons is simply branding is not a science. Branding in many cases is a matter of opinion. I remember things like in my career, I I created things where the client would run to his wife and say, hey, what do you think about that? And whether she liked it or not, that was a yes or a no on a whole advertising or branding campaign, okay? So it is a matter of opinion. However, what I've learned is that at the end of the day, 
branding is not in the hands of the marketing department. It is completely in the hands of the consumer. And if you can say a simple sentence about what branding is basically what the consumer thinks of you. That, to me, this is the summary of what branding is. Now, how do you break it down? What do you do with this? At what stage of the brand you do it? You know, this is indeed what I call a little bit of a science of branding. And it is not just a matter of opinion, but it is definitely a matter of knowledge, of experience and sensitivity. That's so interesting. And as you were talking about that, it was making me think about brands like Coca-Cola and Harley Davidson, where people will wear the logo on clothing and they'll pay money for yes. advertising or, you know, with Harley Davidson, people will get tattoos of the logo on their body. And that is just so interesting. I, I don't think there's anything super fancy about the Harley Davidson logo, but it's what it represents to the people who ride those motorcycles. It's about freedom. Terry, I think that it is a good example of when I talk to clients and I'm trying to teach them and train them on how to basically implement their brand, I'm telling them you have to live the brand. And living the brand is something that consumers love to do because in the Maslow hierarchy of needs, we have the sense of belonging. And when people feel that they belong to a group of like-minded people that they like, people that they like to associate with, then they wear the shirts and immediately people identify with them because they've had similar experiences. I remember the days when I bought a Mini Cooper in 2002, when the first Mini Coopers came to the United States. I already bought that car because of sentiments that I had for the brand from the old Mini, which I owned in a different country many years before. But the minute I saw the new Mini, it created an emotional feeling in me. It's a feeling of belonging. I want to be in that car. And of course, I looked at the newly designed Mini Cooper, loved it on the spot, bought it on the spot, didn't ask questions. I immediately felt that I belonged. Now, Harley-Davidson people will tattoo the logo of Harley-Davidson because it's a cult. It's a group of people that share so many similar things. I went one time to Florida and I won in one of those charity events. I, I was bidding unconsciously on a ticket for the end of the season of NASCAR. Three days in Florida, in the stadium, a card that allowed me, except for driving the car, I was allowed to be with the driver, with the team, in the garage, everywhere. This is like a dream, crazy. Suddenly, I spent three days in NASCAR culture. I've never been to a NASCAR race before in my <laughs> life, but I knew the brand, of course, because you, you cannot yeah. ignore it. It's all over. Yeah. And of course, you see all those people wearing the hats and the shirts and everything. And I'm telling you, that was a lifetime experience for me to be with those people and feel what they feel and live for three days the way they lived. Because these people come for three days or a week. They come in their airstreams and they barbecue and they party together. If they bring the children, they cut their hair with the number of the car on their heads. It is crazy. But you know what? These people are happy. For those people, it is a way of life. They live the brand. So, if any other brand can reach that level, 
to me, that's a successful brand. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that you bring up NASCAR because I lived in North Carolina, very close to the whole heart of NASCAR for nine years and moving there from the Washington, D.C. area. It was eye opening because so many people had the numbers. I think it was Dale Earnhardt was number three and they would just have the numbers on their cars or wear shirts. And it's so interesting also about NASCAR because it's all about advertising. You see those cars or you see them in their race jumpsuits and they're just plastered with logos. You can hardly see the car. It's really interesting. I don't know if you've ever done any research into that, but I've observed it. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it means, but I know people were extremely passionate about it. I actually worked in Winston-Salem about two blocks from the Reynolds Tobacco Company, and they used to have the Winston Cup. They don't do that mm-hmm. anymore because tobacco yeah. is, that's not popular. But but yeah, we were in the middle of all of that. And it was just really super interesting. I, like I said, I'm not sure that I fully understand it, but people were extremely extremely passionate about it for sure. So the next question I have for you really relates to that. And maybe you've already answered it, but I, I want to ask anyway, how do you think that the customer experience relates to the brand or is it the brand? I would actually say that the customer experience is the brand. I remember that many years ago, Procter & Gamble, I forgot the name of the CEO at the time, but he coined the term, the moment of truth. And the moment of truth is In the supermarket, when you stand in the aisle of detergents and you have to pick what you're going to use, if you are a customer that has been using all the time the same brand, you will automatically go and your hand will, like a robot, will go to the package and it'll be in your basket and that's it. However, because of, let's say, sales promotion, somebody would offer whatever, 30% discount, suddenly you as a consumer may be aware of another opportunity in the supermarket. And that's the moment of truth when you are standing facing the packaging. If the packaging is not designed well, you may not pick it up, okay? If the price is not right, you may not pick it up. If you had a bad experience with the brand and you now have to choose another one, this is the moment of truth. What will you choose? And believe me, when you stand in the supermarket and you're looking for something to buy, you don't think of TV commercials, you don't think of social media, you don't think of anything. You are facing what you are facing there. It's reality right here right now, and you have to act upon it. So the moment of truth for me represents a lot of customer experience. And customer experience could be divided into pre-purchase, during the purchase, and post-purchase. All those periods of time are all about customer experience. Now, you may have a great experience with a supermarket. So you go and you buy and the service in the supermarket is fantastic. People are friendly. You had a wonderful time. Then you go home, but the brand doesn't work. Oops. So who are you going to blame? The supermarket or the product that you bought, the brand that you bought? Because if you think about it that way, Amazon is the supermarket. Amazon is not a brand that represents one single product or service. Amazon delivers to you many brands. So if you get something from Amazon that doesn't work, who are you blaming? Are you blaming the manufacturer or are you blaming Amazon? 
So we we are living now in a completely different time where the experience could be defined many ways. And that's, it's challenging. Yeah, it's interesting. Like when you were talking about Procter & Gamble, it's when I was younger and I was a student, I used a different brand of laundry detergent and it was a less expensive brand. But I'd say for the last probably 25 years, I've been using Tide. And we had an interesting thing happen here at the beginning of COVID, how the distribution channels got disrupted during COVID. And there were certain things that were really hard to get. And the the certain type of Tide that we used with the certain fragrance, they didn't have it at Target. So I just bought some other fragrance. And my family freaked out. My husband was like, oh, why'd you buy that? I don't like that smell. When you really think about how if you're using the same kind of laundry detergent all the time, you just don't think about it. And Tide, I think they're brilliant with their packaging with that like bright orange. You can't miss it in the aisle. But we're literally living within the fragrance of Tide. And you probably don't notice it when it's the same thing. But then when I'm getting the like fresh sea breeze or whatever the other fragrance was that I got, everybody in my family was like, why'd you get that kind? I don't like that smell. You just don't really think about it unless something changes. You brought up something that is very important and very permanent in branding, which is using our senses. And I must say, right from the beginning, we are all, including marketing people, CMOs, marketers of organizations, we are all completely drowning in what is called technology. And everybody is preaching technology. We forget that technology, as advanced as it might be, does not deliver two of the five senses. You cannot taste anything from your computer and you cannot smell anything from your computer, you cannot touch anything, okay? So because you have those limitations, you may buy something that, hey, I like the colors of the packaging, wonderful. Then you come home and your kids say, mom, it stinks. What are you going to do then? And that's customer experience. That's the brand. That can kill a brand. If the scent is not the right scent, if the texture of the whatever material it is not right, you're going to reject it. You're not going to reuse it again. So yeah. people have to pay close attention to the usage of the five senses because that is the definition of customer experience and brand experience. Yeah. So we should never forget that. Yeah, but when you raise that other issue about who do you blame if the brand doesn't deliver? And I I think about grocery stores or Amazon, they've made it very easy to maintain a positive relationship with them as a channel of distribution because Amazon makes it so easy to return things. As long as I'm buying it through Prime, I don't worry too much about, I'll, I'll buy a few different sizes or different colors or whatever so that I can see, like you said, I can sample it at home. Okay, do I like the feel of this is as good as what it looks like in the picture? And if not, it's pretty easy to return it. So they've made that pretty seamless. There's not anything that trips you up and makes it hard for you to buy because they make it easy for you to return. And that's been my experience with good grocery stores too, is that if you go in and say, I bought a salad here and it went bad in a day, 
they'll just give you your money back, right? It, the lifetime value of that customer, if you switched from one grocery store to another, they would have to pay so much money to get you to come back and be loyal. It's no big deal to give you a few dollars back because you said something went bad. I'm sure some Absolutely. people probably abuse that, but Absolutely. most people don't. No, that's really a good point because most people <clears throat> do not abuse a return policy. They return only when things don't work for them. And whenever a customer comes back to you and says, look, it doesn't work for me, doesn't matter what the reason is, either you made a mistake and you bought a larger shirt than your regular size, whatever the case may be, how much does it cost you to replace it and maintain a relationship with what could be a lifetime customer? And that's really the branding aspect which has nothing to do with marketing because all you do is maintain your brand. And to me, that is branding. This is not mm -hmm. something that the marketing department is in charge of. Mm -hmm. Speaking about Amazon, I think Amazon from day one was a brilliant organization because not only that they worked on maintaining a fantastic relationship with customers providing this kind of super service to their customers, but they have also worked internally on educating, training, and making sure that all their employees are living the brand. Now, I know that on one side, there are many complaints that they are enslaving their employees and the working conditions are awful and this and the other. But as an organization overall, as a brand overall, they have created something that before people understood what's going on, they became number one. And now they are literally controlling a whole category of customer service, including huge supply channels for so many other brands that without Amazon, those brands will be dead. And that's amazing. What they did is absolutely amazing. And I'm sure that a lot of it is confidential, but I wish I could learn from them so that I can teach other people to do what they did. And I want to add one sentence regarding customer service here, which comes from another giant company, Apple. Everybody wants to be like Apple. How many can really be like Apple? Very few. And I remember the days when you could walk into an Apple store and go to the Genius Bar if you had a problem. You only have to make an appointment and the guy would sit with you and help you. I have never, ever left an Apple store or a Genius Bar without my problems being solved. So one of the days, because I teach branding at the University of Chicago for 20 years, and I do have a whole presentation about Apple from day one. And I spoke to the guy, the genius. I spoke to him and I said, listen, could you tell me how are you trained to serve me. And he was laughing. He said, look, it's a secret. It's confidential. I cannot give you the details, but I can tell you one thing. I am not allowed to let you leave the store before I solved all your problems. What else do I need? That's it in one sentence. Yeah, that's so powerful. It's funny because I went to business school. I graduated from University of Maryland with an MBA in 1995. That was sort of a low point for Apple. You know, Apple was different. They were the first one that had the graphical user interface 
and and then Windows copied that. And there were issues where there wasn't compatibility between Macs and MPCs and all of that. So you had to choose one or the other. And Macs had a leg up within the educational and graphic design world. But I remember us doing a case in business school. And the question was like, oh, should Apple open it up and not have proprietary software? Because it looked like they were on the way out, that they were going to be obsolete. And when you're talking about how does Apple do it, they just, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about the think different. They thought different from the beginning. I don't think that it's possible for their model to be replicated because there's so many different aspects of it that they really believe they don't discount. They don't have to. When we were talking about cults, you and I are both doing this interview on Macs. I've got my earbuds in. I have my iPhone here. (laughs) I am a proud member of the cult because the experience is just so different. And it's so thoughtful. Even going back to when the iPod came out and the fact that the whole idea was it wasn't about having an MP3 player. It was about having a thousand songs in your pocket. And before the iPod came out thinking like, oh, should I get one of those MP3 players? Because I didn't understand how they worked. It was too hard. And they've just made everything very easy. Everything's very compatible. Everything is very intuitive. And I think that's what makes people very loyal is that it's just easy. Apple has adopted many years ago what is called design thinking. And design thinking is a very important element in branding overall because it encompasses everything that creates the experience. And if you read the stories about the design of the Apple Store, the very original Apple Store was like it landed from Mars. People didn't know what to make of it. It looked luxurious. It looked inviting. It was like no other store, no other retail operation in existence. And they were not trying to surround you with merchandise. On the contrary, they allowed you enough space to experience all the gadgets and everything else, and then the accessories on the walls. And of course, the people that were so helpful, and you just couldn't escape the feeling that, wow, this is something I've never had before. It's interesting. I am intrigued. I want to be part of this. And yes, it became part of our life. And even today, when they come up with new Apple stores, they're just amazing. Think of the Apple store on Michigan Avenue. For years, we had a store which was the first original model with the glass steps and everything. And we thought that was something. Then they opened the other one on the river and it was, oh, wow. Oh, my God. This is a temple. And, and that's exactly, and I remember the store on Fifth Avenue in New York, in front of what used to be F.A.O. Schwartz, the toy uh-huh. store. I remember that store. I was in shock. It entices you not only to buy, but it entices you to become part of the cult, so to speak. It is, I want to be like these people. I want to belong to this group. There were days when Dell, Dell, the lowly Dell, They were experimenting in stores that were lookalike of the Apple store. It didn't last long, obviously, because they were selling Dell. They were not selling Apple products. So they did not understand the brand within the store. For them, it was just a veneer. It was something that they wrapped the merchandise with a nice store. But still, that was not 
a brand. It was a lookalike. What you're talking about is that Apple's brand is in the DNA and everything that comes out of that is Apple. And it's amazing to think back about how I'm, I'm sure that they had this all planned, but like the iPod, I actually went to an event and I won an iPod in a drawing and I didn't even really know what it was. It was the Nano, like the small one. And I came home and my kids were so excited. They were so amazed by this thing. And that was just the beginning of this much bigger vision that obviously they had and they were working on for years to create the smartphone, which it's amazing to me to think about how much that has changed everyone's lives and that we didn't even realize it was possible. I can remember even with the touch screen, I was like, what? Where's the buttons, right? For people that are older like you and me, what? You don't have to like do the rotary dial? It just But you again, this is you're touching upon another point, which is Apple gave us things before we even knew that we need them. And one of the legends about Steve Jobs is that he never used market research. And he was quoting Henry Ford when Henry said that if I asked my customers, what do they want? They would have said, I want a faster horse. Okay. Because nobody imagined that there could be a car in the future. So Steve Jobs was one of those people that basically believed that I can envision I can create what people need and want at the same time without them even knowing what they need and what they want. But once it'll be there, it will be so perfect and it will fit their lifestyles in such way that they will not be able to exist without it. Look what's happening now. iPhone has been threatened by Chinese brands, by God knows who. No, they're still number one. Nobody can touch them. It's amazing. And why? Because I guess, and I've seen, I traveled in the world and I went into some of the other stores of Samsung, of Xiaomi, of all those other competitors. It is not the same. I'm sorry. And I'll bet you anything that when you work with the Chinese-made phone, which might work perfectly in China, when I hold it in my hand, I don't have the same feeling. I'm sorry. I feel like I miss a finger or something. So that's what they created for us. And the only bad thing I can say about Apple is that as a brand, they also created expectations. And in this day and age, customer expectations are much faster and the bar is much higher because of what technology and innovation has given us and they are spoiling us. And now we want everything in five minutes. And if you don't do it, you're doomed. So now people are sitting around waiting for Apple to come with the new shining whatever. And all they do is just improving existing products. And the improvements are significant. And yet for the critics, it is not enough. They want more. They don't know what they want because this is what Apple is doing. They're not telling us what are we going to get. But that's how we were programmed by the world today to expect things quickly, instant gratification, and everybody keeps saying, hey, surprise me. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about Amazon, when they first started offering the Amazon Prime, $99 a year and free shipping. And 
I think you got the movies with it. And I thought, gosh, why would I not do this? I think in a year I would (laughs) definitely, and this was before I was using Amazon for everything, but how smart they were with that, because I would only use Amazon occasionally before that. If I couldn't find something I wanted at Target or whatever, I would go to Amazon. And now, of course, I have the app on my phone. And if somebody in my family is saying we need this, I'm just putting the order in and and it's coming in the next day or two. It's been really funny when you're talking about expectations because I ordered a couple things to be delivered by Amazon uh, a few days ago when we were getting on the snow and the deliveries were delayed by a couple days, which meant that I was getting the things in three or four days instead of one or two days. <laughs> I was feeling like that was an issue. I understood it, but I also was like, I need this. Like, why is it not I here? I need it now. <laughs> yes. And I, I will order things from The Gap and Old Navy and their stuff will take two weeks to deliver. And I get really impatient with that. And I'm like, (laughs) what? And it used to be that sometimes it would take weeks for things to be delivered when you were ordering through mail order. And it's just amazing how our expectations have changed based on the service level delivery that Amazon has set and also how it's become such a competitive advantage for them that even if there's another organization has something that could even be better, but if I have to wait five days to get that rather than the next day. One of the things, again, it's another example of the brand experience. Amazon at a certain point realized that they cannot rely, not because of quantities, but because of reliability and the delivery of their own brand. They realized at a certain point that they cannot rely anymore on UPS, FedEx, and the postal services. And they created their own huge organization with airplanes, with trucks, with you name it. They delivered themselves. Mm -hmm. And they have all the logistics. They created a whole logistics division, mainframe computers that they can control with them, everything. And the delivery of Amazon is so far superior to anything else. And now I know that if I have a choice, I hope that they had also just a delivery service for other things, things that I want to ship. Why? Because brands like FedEx are not reliable anymore. Elon, I feel like we could just talk forever, but I try to keep my episodes to somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. So I'm going to wrap it up here and we're actually going to make this conversation a two-parter. So if you enjoyed my conversation with Elon today, tune in next week because we will continue this conversation We will be getting into topics that pertain to how brand and marketing work together. Are they the same thing? Are they separate? What's the difference? And Elon will talk about that along with some other topics, including medical tourism, if you've ever wondered what that is. So Elon, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. It was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios. Mambo, mambo.